I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Change Agent's Dilemma for Tuesday, August 3rd, 2010 on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Heather Stagel, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, as I do every four weeks during the summer on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. This show is one of the many ways I help equip individuals to lead organizational change at Inclaria LLC. The Change Agent's Dilemma is How to Influence Change Without Authority. And this show is a resource for people who are leading change from the middle to understand how change works and learn new ideas for how to implement it. Today my guest is Dr. Jackie Sherman, who is here to tell us her formula for creating the energy for change. As CEO and Principal Consultant of the Jackie Sherman Group, Jackie has created consistent results for two decades, including improved profitability, quality, customer and employee satisfaction, and internal and external relationships. Her clients, spanning three continents, include businesses from Fortune 50 to leading-edge companies as well as public and nonprofit organizations. Jackie is an expert in many areas of organization development, including strategic planning and implementation, team development, group process design, executive coaching, change management, re-engineering and work redesign, board development, and capacity building. She holds a Ph.D. and a Master's in Economics from the University of Michigan and a Bachelor's from Tufts University, plus a number of organization development certificates from the Gestalt Institute of Cleveland. Currently, she lives in Atlanta. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm pleased to be here. So let's start with, I guess, an obvious question if we're talking about creating the energy for change. What does the energy for change mean? Why do you need it? Um. Well, without energy, nothing moves. So you need it because as as a change agent, if there is not energy coming from the organization to change, then you have an incredibly difficult job because you basically have to push really hard. And one of the things I think we know is that people don't actually like to be pushed. So if you can create processes or work with organizations in a way that they can, in some sense, create their own energy for change, um, it's actually a lot easier for you as a change agent. So um, who wouldn't okay. want to create it if it would make it easier, as a, as a, whether it's as a leader or, or as a um, sort of an indirect change agent? Okay. So and just to be clear, we're not talking about a change agent's own energy, because I know having had that job, it takes a lot of energy, a personal energy, but we're talking about creating organizational energy for change. Absolutely. Thanks for the clarification. Yes, we're talking about creating energy in and from the organization to want to actually move towards something new. So what happens if you don't have the energy for change? Well, um, one of the things, we are biologically constructed to do what we might call resist change. So as biological beings, 
we're interested in sort of homeostasis, sort of keeping things the same. That's that's what um, that's what our bodies want to do. That's what our brains want to do. So, um, you know, people talk about resistance as if it's bad. Resistance is simply energy. You know, from a physics perspective, it's just energy. Um, so. The reason okay. that you need energy for change is actually to be able to either work with the resistance or move through it. Okay. Or some people might say overcome resistance. Right. And I'm actually choosing not to use the word overcome resistance because um, if you if you think about so, – so I realize this is radio – and if you're driving in your car, you wouldn't want to do this. But if you are sitting somewhere listening, if you put your two hands up and pretend that the right hand is the organization and the left hand is you either a leader or a change agent, and you push the left hand against the right hand, what you naturally want to do with your right hand is push against it. So overcoming would mean sort of pushing harder. All it does is cause you, the, organi- to the right side, the organization, to try to push even harder. So one of the reasons I don't like to talk about overcoming it is because really if you're trying to overcome something, you're probably just going to engender more resistance. So it's this, more about working with it. It's more about working with it and creating a way for the organization to create its own energy for change. Great. So what are the conditions that are necessary for change? Well, there are three. You have to have dissatisfaction with the way things are today. You have to have a positive and shared vision for a better future. And you have to have practical first steps. So um, uh, some people refer to this as the change formula. D times V times F has to be greater than R. D is dissatisfaction with the way it is today. V is a positive, shared vision for the future. F is practical first steps. And R is resistance. So what we remember from algebra is that because the left side is multiplicative, that means there must be dissatisfaction. It has to be greater than zero. The vision has to exist. It has to be greater than zero. And there have to be first steps. That has to be greater than zero in order for the left side of the equation to be greater than zero. And since we always know there's resistance, the left side always has to be greater than zero. Um, so you have to have all three of those conditions. Um, let's, let me talk about what happens if you don't. If there's no dissatisfaction with the way it is today, there's no reason to do anything different. It doesn't matter how wonderful the vision is. It doesn't matter how attractive the first steps are. There's no reason to move from where you are. Similarly, if you're dissatisfied with the way it is today, but you have no positive vision for where to go, you kind of can't get off the dime. Mm -hmm. And similarly, if you have dissatisfaction with the way it is today, and you have a positive vision for what better would look like, but you have no practical first step, it's like you have no idea how to get started, 
you are similarly stuck. So it doesn't matter which one of those three variables are missing or zero, you will not get any, you, won't, you just won't get change and you certainly won't get enough energy to um, move through the resistance. Okay. Well, let's dissect this equation a little bit more and go through each of these more in detail. Okay. So um, one thing I'd like to say is that this equation can be used in two um, different but complementary ways. One, it can be used to diagnose what might be missing if you are finding yourself in a situation where the change that you're working on is stuck. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that you can use it for is to actually design from scratch an effective change process. So um, why don't I start by talking about um, diagnosing if a change is stuck, and I'll use some pretty, pretty um, concrete examples from um, client work that I've done. Great. So um, often a leader, whether the leader is in the middle of the organization or um, at the top of the organization, the, the leader has an idea of what he or she wants to create and, and as a, as a leader, we are sort of wired to be dissatisfied with the way it is today and look toward a vision for better. So we have the D, and we often come with a V and an idea of how to get started. But when we go to talk to the organization, leaders often just talk about their vision with an assumption that everybody will want to go with them. So I was working with them. Um, the president of a division a number of years ago who had been in place for about nine months. And, you know, he was, he was set to be the president to try to make some change. He saw what he wanted to do, and he went to talk to his leadership team. And um, when he called me, he said, well, they're just, they just don't, they're not ready. They don't want to go with me. And when I asked him what conversation he had had with them, he said, well, I told them what I thought we ought to do, and everybody didn't kind of come clamoring and say, great. I said, well, Okay, so I see that the challenge is that you're clear about, about why the strategy you're using isn't going to get you where you want to go. But the leaders in the organization, your, your leadership team members are not clear. So we were able to, so he, from his perspective, his change was stuck. Mm -hmm. What we were able to do was craft a conversation that allowed them to examine the strategy that they were currently working with and um, extrapolate it out into the future, imagine what would happen if they stayed on that path, and to a person, everyone saw that that path was not going to get them where they needed to go. So we were able to raise the dissatisfaction by simply allowing them to examine the way it is, and then they were interested in having a conversation about what better a better vision for the future would look like. And um, he was able to put out his ideas. They were able to work with that, make some changes, and all of a sudden they had um, a shared vision for the future, which then made it very easy to have a conversation about, well, okay, now how do we get there? What are some of the first steps? Sure, so increasing dissatisfaction with the status quo. Although leaders don't often like to do that. No, actually um, they don't like it at all because they're afraid often that they're going to have to deal with all that emotion. And, in fact, 
I often have to encourage leaders to do what I call foment dissatisfaction, not to deal with it specifically, but because without it, they can't get any interest in something new. So what I find is if I explain this equation to people, that they get it, and they can get it at a very personal level. I mean, this, is, this may seem like a sort of a, a simplistic example, but it works if you think about your health. It works about if you think about your weight. You know, no matter how much somebody might say to you, you could use to lose some weight, I could see you as a thinner person, if you're satisfied with where you are, there is no reason for you to do anything different. Right. So, um, so that's an example of how you can use um, design a process that helps people um, uh, raise their dissatisfaction. And often, um, it's as simple as asking people what's working well about what we're doing today, and um, what are some of the you know, what, what isn't working so well. Um, I think a lot of internal change agents find themselves in a, in a position of having to um, implement a new system, a new, um, information techno- new information technology of some sort. And um, you can simply engage people in a conversation about, you know, how does it work today? There's always something that works well, and you can always get people to identify things that are not working so well and that if we had something better, we might actually be able to make the work um, happen more smoothly. So now let me offer an example where there was dissatisfaction in the organization. The leaders of the organization, um, uh, this this organization is actually a library, a university library, and... um, the leaders wanted a more flexible, responsive organization, and the staff was frustrated about how communication happened and how decision-making happened. So they weren't necessarily dissatisfied about the same things, but they had dissatisfaction. When I came into the organization, there was a vision that nobody was excited about, about how to sort of structure the organization in order to make it work better. Um, So what we, in that case, what we needed to do was uh, bring people together to create a shared vision for what better would look like. The vision that had been created earlier was very much a compromise and it wasn't, no, nobody was really signing up for it. So even though they didn't like the way it was today, they couldn't get enough energy to go anywhere because they didn't have a shared vision for where to go. So we created a process that allowed them to come together, consider some alternatives for the future, and um, uh, select one or craft one that everyone could say, okay, we can see this picture together and we're interested in going there. Then it was possible to do the design work of roles and responsibilities and reward and recognition, um, you know, the training that was needed to support people to do work differently. It was easy to craft the first steps once there was a shared vision for, for where people wanted to go. Okay. Now, did that shared vision capitalize on both of the different types of dissatisfaction that people felt? Actually, it did. That's a great question because um, I don't think 
either group would have signed up for the for a vision that didn't feel like it was going to address their issues. So absolutely. Um, and I, I think uh, that's one of the reasons why when you're bringing groups together, it's important that their interests be represented, you know, the interests of multiple groups be represented in wherever the new place that the group is going to go is. Um, the third variable, first steps, generally is the easiest one to create. And um, I've not found very many organizations who were stuck on sort of how to get there. Um, but it still needs As, as long as they're dissatisfied and have a vision, I would, I would guess. Exactly, exactly. Now, let me give you an example of where first steps often show up and it actually isn't very helpful. And because if you have first steps, but you don't have dissatisfaction or vision, it feels like flavor of the month. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the middle of an organization, leaders may have dissatisfaction, and their vision looks like it's, you know, okay, we're going to implement a quality program. We want sort of higher quality. We're going to implement a quality program. And all you see in the middle of the organization is, oh, we're having a quality program. It feels like flavor of the month because you have not been engaged in the process of understanding why that would be, you know, what, what problem is that solving or, or why does this take us to a better place? Okay. Um, so you've got this equation, dissatisfaction with the status quo times a shared vision times practical first steps is greater than resistance. And if you have that, if that is true, then you have enough energy for change. Correct. So D times V times F is greater than R. Exactly. So I'd like to dig in a little bit on the R side too. Okay. With resistance and just, I, I think people listening to this show, if they're trying to implement change, they have an idea about resistance, what it is. Uh, but I just like the two of us to talk about it a little bit. Okay. About what it is and so what it like how do you know if you have resistance? Um, the simplest way first of all I want to say you always have it. You it may not be showing up in um a very um big way, but uh, from my from my perspective and I think for um most people who are working in the organizational change arena, you're just always going to have it. You have to assume that it's there. Um, like I said at the beginning, I think we're just we're just wired for it. And probably one of the biggest shifts is to not think of it as good or bad. It just is something that that exists. No matter how much we say we want change, there's always a part of us that doesn't. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so. That's a part that's always going to be there. That's not always overt. It's not like people are standing up and saying, I don't want to do this. <laughs> right, exactly. So so I think that shows up in two ways. You could think of it, so there are the overt ways where you're getting pushback, and then there are the um, sort of under the surface. You could call them covert, but I really am not wanting to put a negative valence on it. Yeah. So it's just the undercurrent, and it's sort of like it's it, it pulls against. So there's pushing against, and there's 
and they're sort of pulling against, or probably one of the um, most uh, covert or under-the-surface ways to experience resistance is simply lack of energy. Mm-hmm. So um, some people might call it apathy. That's a form of resistance. Sure. So people are coming to the meetings, but they're not necessarily doing the things that are assigned to them on time or with enthusiasm. Exactly. For example. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's a, that's a great example. So if you're feeling that, then, you know, one of three things is likely to be true. Um, people don't see why they should be going anywhere. Then They should be headed in a direction different than where they are right now. So they don't have dissatisfaction. And a conversation about what, you know, what will happen if we stay where we are or if we don't do something different doesn't have to do with the specific difference that you're that you're driving, the specific change, but just to really have people um, examine where they are. Now, I, I guess I want to raise um, something um, I'm confident that um, uh, many of your listeners are are familiar with the concepts of appreciative inquiry. And this formula would seem to be at odds with appreciative inquiry, but in fact it's not because in the in um, working in an appreciative way, you're always looking for what is positive and what you can build on in the way things are today, but you're also focused on wishes for the future. And the wishes for the future generally come out of what isn't working today or what isn't as effective today. So making sure that you're paying attention to that and not just what are the strengths of where you are. Um, so what else would be interesting about resistance that you'd like to talk about? Well, let's see. I think we covered what it might look like and and how to overcome it. We've got the formula, so... Let's talk about how a, someone who's a change agent, someone who's leading change from the middle of their organization, might use this equation from their vantage point. Okay. So we've got dissatisfaction times vision times first steps, greater mm-hmm. than resistance. So I'm going to go back to the first example that I gave which is, um, so this leadership team of a manufacturing company has now um, created, they understand why the current strategy isn't going to get them where they want to go, and they have a vision for better. They have a a strategy that they think will work better, and um, one of their first steps is to bring together, let's say, the the top 120 people in the organization. If they simply got up in front of that group and said, here's our new strategy, in parentheses, we want you to be excited about it, um, (laughs) what do you think the chances are that the group would be jumping up and down and saying, yes, that's fabulous? I think it would be pretty large. Where do I sign up? (laughs) Right, exactly. Where do I sign up? So what what, um, you could sort of think of, although I was an external consultant at the time, I did very similar work when I was an internal consultant. What I helped them do was craft a process that took those 
mid mid level leaders through the same through a similar process of imagining where is this current strategy going to take us and in less than 2 hours they were able to see that the strategy that the company was currently following was going to lead to offshoring closing of plants and um downsizing wow so you know I believe that people are smart. If you share data with them, if you share information with them that got you to a conclusion, they're very likely to see what you were seeing. They just didn't have the vantage point that you had. So really it didn't take very long for them to see, okay, we do need to do something different. And from that, there was a receptive audience to hearing the leadership say, okay, this is the new strategy. And then we were able to engage people in thinking about that strategy, understanding it, and then the next layer was, and so how would you take this to your plant or your function? And, in fact, that process got repeated and cascaded through the organization. And within about 300 days, which may not seem like a, a a short amount of time, but if you're talking about, you know, um, a three or four thousand person organization to get everybody lined up and moving in a new direction and executing, that's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, does that begin sure. to address your question? Yes. Great. So, um, let's see. What else do people need to know about this equation? Well, I like to. I think it's important to give credit where credit is due. Um, this equation uh, was um, first written at, about, and not necessarily in this form, um, by a graduate student, David Glaker, who was um, a graduate student of Richard Beckhardt's. Um, Beckhardt is, uh, or was, I don't think he's alive anymore, um, sort of one of the grandfathers of organizational development. Um, it is. Um, in the DVF form, it really hasn't been published that much, but it is available. And um, if you put um, formula for change in Wikipedia, you can find a reference to it. Um, and for people who are familiar with um, some of the large group methodologies, um, I think in this current, in the form of DVF, um, D times V times F greater than R, it was um, it was first written about by um, people from the Dana Miller Tyson organization. Okay. And you've got an article where you um, fill in some of the details about it um, as well, and I'll I'll be yes. posting that as a blog po- as part of a blog post about Great. our conversation today, um, as well as a link back to uh, Jackie's website if you want to learn more about her. Um, but go ahead. If, where can people find out more about you and about this concept? Well, they can find out um, more about me from my website, JackieShermanGroup.com. Great. Um, like you said, there's an article on my website and also that you'll post on your blog. Um, if you if you put um, Formula for Change into Wikipedia, you'll get some references um, and I believe there's also an article on the Dan and Miller Tyson website. Okay, great. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for being here and sharing the formula for change. 
D times V times F is greater than R. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Heather. Sure. So the next show coming up in four weeks, um, I'll be talking. I won't be talking about. I will be interviewing someone about implementing diversity and inclusion initiatives. Um, My guest will be Julius Pryor III. Uh, He's the former VP of diversity at both Coca-Cola Enterprises and Johnson & Johnson Consumer Group. He currently leads the diversity consulting group at Your Talent Bridge. And uh, that's coming up on August, Tuesday, August 31st, 2010 at 11 a.m. Eastern. So you don't want to miss that. In the meantime, if you'd like to find out more, find more resources and learn how we might work together to help you implement. <laughs> ah, <sorry. laughs> I'm just flubbing this whole thing. <laughs> in the meantime, if you would like to find more resources and learn how we might work together to help you influence change in your organization, please visit www.enclaria.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Change Agents Dilemma. Take care and best wishes for your change initiative. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags. Always at an ultra-low price. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm and Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags. Always at an ultra-low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head-to-head. So you'll be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra-strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty.